Abstract Athlete Podcast, where art and sports collide. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. Thank you to all of our listeners and sponsors. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, please send it to info at theabstractathlete.com. We have two other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network. Please go check them out. The Abstract Doctors Podcast and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and follow us on all of our social media outlets for updates and news. Totally thrilled about the podcast today as I get to speak with U.S. Navy and U.S. Air Force veteran, owner of three college degrees and founder of the Cognitive Fitness and Mental Resilience Training, My Steady Mind, Seth Hickerson. Make sure to go follow My Steady Mind on Instagram at My Steady Minds with an S at the end and check out the website MySteadyMind.com. Let's welcome Seth Hickerson. Up. What's happening? Living the dream. How are you? <laughs> hey, man. Can't complain, you know. Friday down here, sunny Florida. No kids for the weekends. <laughs> so Let's you're living go. the dream also then. I am living the dream. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. You know, play golf. And- oh, man. Okay. Now, when I'm, when I come down there, um, hopefully we're going to be doing something with the Panthers next year or this year, yeah. later, later this year. Um, I'll have to bring my clubs with me now that I yeah, know. Yeah, you, you golfer? Try. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's where I cut on my, my sports psychology uh, teeth. You know, I've been working with golfers for many years, training them. I can I can help you on the mind game for yeah. sure, but don't ask me, I can't fix your physical swing. But I just, um, that just was released this week, had a pro, a former pro golfer on the podcast as well and his brother is an artist and i met his brother when we did an event and i'm recording by the way so we're we're already but i uh this sorry for this story but i was talking i met his brother the the artist um because we had this event out in phoenix where he lives and i and he said something oh yeah my brother used to play pro golf and i was like oh well i actually grew up in the hometown that jack nicholas is from he's called the golden bear because of my high school and he right. looks, he looks at me and he's like, my grandfather lived, he was a, he was a general. His grandfather was a general lived in upper Arlington, my hometown. We used right. to go, we used to go swimming at this pool called Tremont, which is literally a quarter of a mile from where I grew up. And I was right. just like, what? I mean, of all yeah. the gin joints in all the world, it happened to have that. I don't know. It was just crazy. So, but thank you, man, for doing this. Like, uh, I was really excited when when the 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 awesome Dr. Sifu introduced introduced us, because um, doing research on you, like there's definitely like a ton of overlap. I'm sure he's actually mentioned that as well. And just I definitely want to get into what you do with with my steady mind, but also, um, you know, you you have such a fascinating background to me. Like first of all, you were a student athlete, which is cool because I want to I want to get into that. And how that kind of affected, I think, what you do now. But you also, and I don't know if this is normal, but you were in two branches of the military. Um, is yeah, that pretty not, rare? Pretty rare, yeah. I, pretty rare. I was wondering, like, because I was just that seems like a yeah. big shift in jump. Because you, so you were you're a a Navy veteran and an and an Air Force veteran. Correct. And yeah, and, Navy and Air Force. Yeah. So that's I mean. Just again, like for me, like to do research and read up on you, it's just like, whoa, this guy is just all over the place. And you have three degrees, correct? Mm-hmm. Three degrees, yeah. <laughs> so you're not busy at all. So it's like, that's I'm a good I'm not busy. No, no. Yeah, I've been a few places and done a few things, you know. And it's, uh, you know, it's finally kind of coming together, you know. Like that's what I've always figured out. It's like, what has all this experience been for, right? Like, right. what was the. What, what am I supposed to do with all this, you know, knowledge and life experience, military experience, you know, like, how do I, I always knew there was something, you know, and then, you know, it was this kind of, you know, cognitive fitness training was ultimately what it all came down to. And so, and it did like the one thing I read, it said something like this really started taking off from the start of COVID because for obvious reasons, like 
mental health issues during yeah. COVID have been like really difficult. So, I mean, let, let's get into like how, I mean, how this started for you, I guess. And, you know, get, we can go back to the high school days of like yeah. when you were a student athlete, because I think that's, you know, we work with a lot of student athletes, a lot of athletes um, and, yeah. and veterans as well. And, and, you know, just, I think there's so many overlaps and so many connections between mm -hmm. what we do and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, thank you for having me on here. I love it. Love what you're doing with the abstract athlete, you know, especially just, I'm all down, I'm down for anybody that's helping people with divergent thinking. And, you know, we can talk probably more about that through this, this uh, show, but yeah. So, you know, kind of my background, I'm, I'm a small town guy from Southern Indiana. Um, and I grew up, you know, I was an athlete, you know, my whole life, I was a football, basketball, baseball player. I played all three sports, you know, all season, every year since I was like, five and, yeah. and so I kind of tell everybody you know like in high school essentially I, I was a really good athlete but I was a shithead kid <laughs> and that's that's kind of what I was you know I was that kid that you know I could come to a baseball game hung over and high and still go two for three with <laughs> you know a home run and four RBIs you know I just I was that guy and um, my identity was always as an athlete and in my mind you know I was I was good I was getting you know, looked at, I was getting, you know, my name in the papers and all that baseball was my best sport. And in my mind, I was going, yeah, I know, you, you know, you know, the baseball deal, right. And I'm sure you've met a hundred guys like me. Yeah. Um, you might've even been like that, but I mean, baseball was my best sport. And in my mind, I was just going to go play college or pro ball. That was it. You know I mean? That was my plan. And so school didn't matter. I literally on like the first day of high school, I asked my guidance counselor, I said, you know, Hey, what, what do I need to be eligible for sports? And she said a 2.0. I said, all right. That's what you're going to get, you know, and in school was easy. I was smart. I just didn't care. You know, all I cared about was sports. And I was that kid that, I mean, it's, it's harder to maintain a 2.0 than a 4.0, yeah. you know, and I was that kid that would make a, you know, a 25 on a test a 50 a 48. And then the teacher would be like, Seth, you need to make a 97 or you don't pass. And I can make a 98, you know? And so <laughs> anyway, what happened? story short, you know, I kind of went through, you know, did my thing. I was getting looked at, you know, for baseball, getting some offers. And I basically just drank myself out of them, partied myself out of them. You know, these people were calling my head coach was like, he's good. He's got talent, but he's just going to come up there and, you know, he's going to, he's got too many other things. And so graduated high school, didn't get any scholarships, you know, 2.0 GPA, drinking problem, no plan B, right? Like, there you go. And so I did what a lot of people did. I, I mean, I, so what happened, and I didn't know it at that time, but I lost my identity, right? And and we don't teach kids. And, I, you know, my doctorate's in educational leadership, and a lot of the stuff I'm teaching through my steady mind is overcoming the things that our current public schools don't teach kids, right? Things about, you know, mental health, divergent thought, you know, identity, all the stuff that, you know, causes a lot of the mental health problems we have. But so, you know, I graduated and I fell into this, you know, deep, dark, depression, deep, dark depression and pity party, mad at the world, you know, just drinking and, and working shit jobs, you know, and just where a lot of kids wind up, you know, and stay there. And so, but fortunately, you know, being an athlete, being somewhat motivated, you know, it only lasted about 10 months. And I was like, all right, I got to do something because I saw, you know, the direction my friends were going. So I said, I got to do something. So I joined the military. So I said, all right, I'm going to join the Navy. You know, initially, initially wanted to be a SEAL. But once I got in, I was like, yeah, I'm not that militant. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, trained to do a bunch of cool stuff. And, and uh, my I was with the CBs. So the CBs are uh, Combat Construction Battalion. And my first duty station at 19 was Tokyo, Japan. So I went from small town, Southern Indiana to Tokyo, Japan, you know, and lived there for three years. And, and Tokyo is when I first started getting exposed to contemplative practice, meditation, Buddhism, Zen life, this type of stuff, right? Just by being over there. And after being there for a while, you're just learning about it. Cause I was always like, I, one of the first, like, aha moments I had about the difference in culture and, and that the, there is a big world out there and the United States isn't the center of the universe. And, but I remember after being in Japan for about a year, you know, I had to build up leave to come back home for a month. And I came back and I was in my little small town and, you know, like 30,000 people. And I was just, I was like, man, everybody here is just so like irritated and agitated. Just, yeah, I can feel the difference in like the way we act and behave and communicate and I wanted to get back to Japan because Japan, I mean, there's 30,000 in my small town. There's 13 million in Tokyo and it's more peaceful in Tokyo. Yep. 
You know, so that's that's, when I, I always say that's interesting. I mean, I, I haven't been to uh, to Japan, but like in Europe, they just mm-hmm. they they live differently. It's 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 just it's interesting. Like you said, that yeah. agitate like we are a culture of I don't understand it really. But and and, and uh, from for me, like art like in Europe. Yeah. And I think it's the same way in, in Japan, like the creative sense, yeah. they have yeah. that there. And here it's like, it's, yeah. it's like we have to force it on people. And it's yeah. like, this is actually good for us. Yeah. And I'll explain why, right. I know why that is. I mean, so after Japan, I moved, I lived in Europe, I lived in Spain for a year. So then I got a, you know, a dose of that European way of life and philosophy. And these are ancient civilizations. They've been that around for thousands of years. And so they figured out how to literally manage emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, which is what North America has never done by design. That's the sad thing, right? Our, it's our society's, our society's condition through our public schools to literally suppress divergent thought, right? We don't want, we want convergent thinkers. That's how you, you know, make people dependent on politics and organizations. And so we, you know, what our school does, school system, public school systems do, they're getting better now, but it's always kind of been, you know, there's no funding for things like music, art, dance, PE, mental health, because that's what stimulates divergent thought. We don't want divergent thought. There's no money in healthy, independent thinking people. So we say it's about IQ, standardized testing, right? That's what's gonna make you successful. That's what's important. And so what happens is people graduate our high schools with a 4.0 and scholarships to schools, but the byproduct's called learned helplessness. And that learned helplessness is what makes a person, they don't know how to do their taxes. They don't know how to take care of their mental health. They don't know how to think divergently. And that's what perpetuates this reactive society that we live in. And so yeah, that's what's going on, right? Um, but uh, anyway, I had that kind of worldview, came back and then I was like, all right, I, I've always been an educator. I mean, my family are all educators. And so I said, I got out of the military, kind of got my shit squared away a little bit now, you know? Um, still, you know, I had to go, it took a rehab trip out of the military for me to put the sauce down, you know? <laughs> right. So that was, once I got back to the military, I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to school, but man, I gotta, I gotta get this drinking under control. So, you know, I went and did a, a 30 day rehab, which was, which was great. I'm a big advocate for people to go to treatment if they need it. And, um, and it totally kind of transformed my life. I went back to school, used my GI bill, did my undergrad in health and physical education. Cause that's what I thought I wanted to do. I wanted to teach and coach, right? But uh, my sophomore year, I took an elective class on sports psychology. And I'd never heard of sports psych. This was 20 years ago. You know, I was like, what's that? And so I, I, I got in the class and the first one I was in there and I started learning about it. My first thing was I was pissed off. You know? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, where was sports psych in Bedford, Indiana? Yes. Yeah, where, where was this? Why wasn't somebody teaching me how to do this, right? How to manage my emotions on and off the field, to improve before I was like, so I was pissed off. And then you find out real quick that, hey, sports psych's not for 14-year-old Seth Higgerson's in Bedford, Indiana. It's for, you know, elite athletes, Olympians, D1. And so I just, and I knew how to train mentally, right, coming from the military. So I understood the concepts of it and, and what, what they were trying to do. And so I just kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go follow the sports psych career. And uh, I went to University of Tennessee and did my master's there. And then when you're in that program, you're learning kind of there's two types of people. And as an athlete, you'll you'll understand this for sure. There's two types of people that kind of go into sports psychology. One of them is, you know, the ex-athletes and the ex-athletes want to go and they want to work with, you know, they want to go to like IMG Academy. They want to work with the LeBron James and the, the D1 teams. They want to work with other high level athletes. But the majority of people that go into sports psych aren't athletes, they're academics. And they want to study sports psychology. They want to work at university. They want to put out papers. They want to teach classes. And then they also kind of work with athletes. And so I wasn't either, you know, I was like, I don't want to, I want to go work with the 14 year old Seth Hickerson. So, you know, that's what I want to do. And so that was where I had the first idea for my first company called Boost Mental Toughness and Leadership and launched that about seven years ago. And I wanted to make it, you know, you know, an online product. I wanted to make it affordable, available, accessible to high schools and colleges that would never have access to sports psych training, you know, or cognitive fitness training. Cause my training's not just sports psychology. It's a blend of, I'm a CSCS, so certified strength conditioning specialist too. And then also, you know, mine has contemplative practice, neuroscience, you know, mindfulness. So cognitive fitness is kind of my thing. It's a, so it's a blend of all those things. Um, and so that's what I did. I also went to, so after I joined in grad school, the Air Force, that's where I cross-branched. So kind of 
you know, because I just didn't have enough going on. I was like, all right, in this military, <laughs> I need to do something, right? So, um, you know, because I was active duty Navy for five years and then three years reserve. And then in grad school, I was doing sports psych. But again, I was also kind of like, man, this isn't what I want to do. This is, you know, this, I don't want to go just work with elite athletes. I don't want to. So I was kind of contemplating. So I was like, maybe, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go back in the military. I miss the military, you know, and so cross branched into the Air Force and I did Air Force Reserve. I was going to get commissioned and go to flight school after grad school, but I ended up getting offered a job at the University of Richmond, right? So that's what brought me to Richmond to come over there and open up the Campus Rec Center and oversee fitness and wellness. And so that's what I did and teach classes. So after grad school, went to the University of Richmond um, and was doing that. And I've always been on the side. I was always training, you know, a lot of golfers and baseball players, you know, on mental training, you know, cognitive fitness training. That was kind of my side job. Um, and then I uh, did my doctorate in educational leadership because I always wanted to pursue a doctorate and I wanted to just learn more about education. And, and so with that doctorate and everything else, that's what allowed me to create the curriculum for the course that we teach, the cognitive fitness boot camp of my steady mind. Um, I, now, and it's, I, it's just so awesome to hear like that whole background of how you got here because you took basically pieces and parts from different mm -hmm. areas of your life and really right. put it together, which I think is, it's perfect because you understand it. Like you, and, and the way that you're thinking, I think is great because like, that's the way that I always talk about stuff with us is like, even though obviously creativity is therapeutic, but mm -hmm. I, I want to be proactive in this approach. I don't want right. people to have, have to do it because they're struggling. I want them to know that if they do this as like, as a physical, you know, exercise, like, but a creative right. exercise that, you know, this is in your bag of tricks. So like those highs and lows yeah. are never so dramatic because that's the, right. you know, you speak right. of, of things like I went through or what you were talking about when you took your sports psychology class and going, why the hell didn't I have this when I was playing? You know, I, I'm the same way as like, why, even though I was an artist growing up, like, I, I first of all, like in, during those times, you know, you couldn't really talk about that because right, you know, right. I was, I was a macho athlete. I was, I was the same yeah. as you football, baseball, basketball, baseball right. was my thing, but yeah. you know, I was a quarterback and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you can't talk about like the painting you made yesterday because everybody would look at you and start calling you a wimp and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I wasn't prepared for that. And, but I think like things are shifting in, you know, I think a lot of it does. And again, for better or for worse falls on a lot of these professional athletes and veterans that talk about for us, like being, you know, dealing with mental health issues and, because right. I, you know, like they're the, they're the heroes. And when, mm -hmm. when somebody like that has the guts for lack of a better way to say it, to like talk about their right. struggles, it allows other people to see them as human because you said it exactly. You, you were defined as an athlete growing up. That was me. And was when, it. when my athletic, and I played baseball at Ohio state and I, I mean, I could have been drafted to play baseball, right. but sure. my, my parents wanted me to go to school and I didn't want to go to school because I sucked in school and yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, right. and so that, that going to school and then I got redshirted. So I wasn't even playing. I was just practicing and I, I knocked, I've told this many times, but I, I hit a baseball off of, of a uh, player at Ohio state's eye. I blew up his eye orbital and not, you know, obviously it's not my fault, but not right. one coach talked to me. Like, so I like, held that I it was yeah and and then I quit after my first year and I had no clue of what I was supposed to do nothing right um and you know then like you said you started working shitty jobs and yeah. I, I went through that and then I started singing in bands which was mm -hmm. my kind of and then it was actually my mom that said why don't you go back to school for art and you know it just never even occurred to me like it sounds stupid to say that now but, you know, and like, like you, like I'm, I'm very appreciative and love being a teacher, um, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, I teach at a university now, but whether it's doing that or doing through the abstract athlete, just like that leading 
in, in different workshop stuff. So like very similar backgrounds. I um, mean, I'm from Ohio, like you're Indiana. We're neighbors. Yeah, Midwest, <laughs> Midwest boys. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, and it's, it, I mean, it, the thing that's awesome, and this is what you're, you're seeing too. I mean, especially as an athlete and with your, you know, um, you know, there's a shift, there is a shift coming, right? And the stuff we're talking about is becoming more acceptable and mainstream and you know, what it all comes down to, right? Is if a person does not know how to manage emotions, the only thing they can do is suppress them. That's it, right? And that's why I was, I didn't have it, you know, when it came to my emotions growing up, I just drank, I drank if I was happy, I drank if I was sad, I drank if it was Tuesday, I just drank, right? That was my only tool for any, any and all emotions I had. And, you know, I had a lot of fun for sure, but it, you know, ultimately it cost me a lot. And, um, um, but you know, that's the problem because we're not teaching people much about how to identify, observe emotions, manage them, whether it's through art or through music or through exercise or through meditation or whatever, that's what, that's part of that learned helpful is people that people, they, they have no idea how to identify and manage emotions. So they suppress them. You know, and that's what all those macho do, suppress, 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 right? Yeah. And that you can do that for so long. And what what was happening now, and one of the things that was one of our kind of we have a lot of one-liners and sayings with my steady mind, but we say our vulnerability is our credibility. You know, and so that's this now you're starting to see big, tough, macho people show their vulnerability more. I, and it it's I, at the end of the day, I think it's it's so good for I mean it's it's freeing. I think mm-hmm. for these athletes to be able to talk about, about this stuff and, and, and veterans and, and current military who, you know, whoever, anybody like, that's the thing. And I, you know, I get, I get to see this in my, I've, I've started classes at Virginia Commonwealth called art and athletics, which is basically the abstract athlete brought in to a university setting. And for me, it's just the most rewarding class because not because I started it, but, um, but it's because, because like you have artists in the class, you have athletes in the class, you have nurses in the class, you have, you know, who anybody's allowed to take this class and they're not supposed to be in the same space together. Like we know this, but they're in there now and they're interacting they're having conversations. Like then they realize, Oh, we're really not that different. And, but for, for an artist, like, any, any program I think in college that you take, even in art, which sounds funny to say, it gets very narrow, like in terms mm-hmm. of dialogue and, ter- but like when you bring somebody not in an art program into the stuff, into the program or this class and they start talking about art, it's just a whole nother perspective that the artist either has never heard or is forgotten because they got stuck into that, that path that they're supposed to take. Right. And so to me, it's like, it's it's kind of throwing a wrench in the socket of academia, which I think is needed, which I think you were kind of alluding to earlier. It's, right. you know, there's these things that it's just antiquated systems. Like, why aren't we talking about mental health in school systems and teaching kids and young adults how to live life? Like, because who cares if you get a 90 on a test? Who gives a shit? I mean, I know, really, truly. Not, I mean, and that's again, it's part of like this is what I teach and I coach and I do my mentoring, right? Because every human out there, ultimately, all I care about is I want people to just be healthy and happy. That's all I care about, right? And that's what most people want. So to understand that, you first have to understand health. Okay. And we as a society don't understand health. Yep. There's four pillars of health. And there's a really cool thought experiment I do. And maybe this is something your, your listeners can kind of do. And you could do that. I challenge you to start doing this in your classrooms, right? Just to kind of demonstrate this so you know it's all everything comes down to energy right like i'm fortunate to get to coach executives at nasa and we talk about this like human beings are the first electric vehicles screw tesla right i mean we're the first electric vehicles that's how we are we're energy kind of masquerading as humans and so everything has a vibration and and so we could save that for another show but and and really talk about (laughs) i'm like i'm i'll nerd out on nasa because like Dude, we can go, we can talk all day. <laughs> Me too. Like, I mean, you want to talk about OM and how to connect with that. And you want to talk about limbic resonance. We can get into all that. But anyway, so coming back to kind of like, why do people struggle so much in North America? And it's because we as a society do not teach people about health. We talk a lot about it, but so when it comes to your health and energy, there's four pillars of health, right? And so this is what I would challenge you to do and your people to think about because it shows the disconnect. It might be a little better with your, your students at VCU because they're younger, but for the most part, 
you know, if we want to be healthy and happy, we have to understand these four pillars. We have to know tools and techniques so we can create routines. And so the first thing I'll do, I'll get a whiteboard and I'll write the word and I'll tell people, just yell out the first thing that comes to mind when you hear this term, when this aspect of health, just think about what it, what it makes you think of. And so I'll write the word physical health. And most people will say things like exercise, lifting weights, you know, working out, jogging, right, right, whatever. And I'm like, cool, write those down. I'll say, those are things you should do. And if you have kind of a daily routine, you'll have good physical health, you'll have good physical energy. If you don't, you won't, period, right? So then the next pillar of health is nutritional health. I'll write that down. And people will say, you know, you know, carbs, protein, you know, keto, diet, you know, fruits, vegetables, they'll say things like, I'm like, good, I'll write those down. If you daily try to kind of participate and do some of these things, you'll have good nutritional health and good nutritional energy. If you want, if you don't, you won't, period. So I'm not guessing, this is the way it works, right? Then the third pillar of health is spiritual health, right? So people will start saying things like God, church, religion, prayer, you know, whatever they say. And I'm like, good, that's it. You know, if you have some things under spiritual health that you do daily, you'll have good spiritual health. The fourth pillar of health is mental health. What do you think comes to people's mind when they hear that? Either nothing yeah. or depression. I was going to say, I was going to say depression. Depression. <laughs> but I, I'm of the opinion, you know, like there's that saying that mental health is not, is not weakness or, or, no. or I can't well, remember. Mental how health, that's, what yeah. I'm, that's, what I'm, that's the point I'm making. When I say or write mental health, People say mental illness. They yep. say depression, anxiety. Either they say nothing yep. or or they'll just say things like depression, anxiety, suicide. I'm like, no, that's mental illness. Yep. What's mental health? Just like physical health. And so they should say things like meditation, breath work, visualizations, gratitude, mantras. That's the tools that you use proactively to improve your physical health yep. or your mental health, right? So that's so when you look at those four pillars again with our society, our school systems teach nothing about spiritual health, teach nothing about mental health, and barely teach anything about nutritional or physical health. So nobody in our society knows how to be healthy, yep. and that's by design because it makes then you're de you're dependent on medication, you're dependent on these, you know. So that's what's going on, right? That's the and I talk about me, right? Like uh, as a veteran and or veteran-owned company, most of my coaches are veterans and. I took an oath, two of them actually, two different branches, right? <laughs> to support and defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And this is our defense against domestic terrorism. Because in my mind, that we're not doing what's best for our citizens when it comes to holistically educating them so that they can be healthy and happy. So the my steady mind is all the tools and education you need for that mental health training, the proactive, like you're talking about, proactive. And so that's the big problem with mental health is we as a society try to take everybody and shove them into treatment. And so based on, and everything I talk about, nothing's ever, I tell people, I'm a nerd, man. I do my homework, right? Nothing is my opinion. Nothing I say, <laughs> not, right. right? And so, for example, every year, the National Academy of Mental Illness, uh, Mental Illness NAMI, does their annual report on, you know, the state of mental health in America. And they, it's a survey they've been doing for, many years to try to gauge how many, what percentage of our population 18 and older has mental illness or has mental illness or has diagnosable mental illness. And I think the last one that came out was 2021 and it was like 23.3% of our society, you know, which that's a big number. I'm sure it's going to go up this next year, but what that means is, so if 23% of our society has mental illness, 23% of our society needs mental health treatment. They need psychiatry, psychologists, counselors, medications. What that also means is 77% don't. They need training. They need what we do, right? Just proactive stuff to help them manage the daily stress of life. And so that's the big gap. We as a society try to shove everybody into that. So that's why it's stigmatic. When people hear mental health, they think illness. And so that's that's the big shit show. And that's what we're trying to help solve and fix. Um, yeah, and I think it's 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 it boils down to discussions like this. It's very, it, I don't say it, it's not simple per for any stretch of the imagination, but the idea of like being able to sit here and talk about it, it it's, it's a very easy first step, you know? Yeah. And like, why, why, you know, like, I mean, I think your program should be in every school in America. Yeah. I mean, you, literally, I mean, this is how simple it is, right? We talk, if 
literally, and I'm not saying I know everything, but I know a lot of things, especially when it comes to this. If you wanted to change our society, pretty much eradicate the, eradicate the mental health problem, you take, I would say, our curriculum, or at least a curriculum like it, and you put it in middle school. Problem solved, right? Because there's two stages of neurological development that are critical for every human, right? I don't care, black, white, Chinese, Indian, it doesn't matter. So I'm a brain guy. I just know how brains work and how it affects the human. So all brains, the first critical stage of development is age two to five. So that's when the brain is just ready to learn how to communicate, how to talk, right? It's just natural. It's just two to five. That's when we're in that spot of developmental, um, of developing where this that's natural, right? So that's an important window. I think the most important and most critical window is ages 11 to 15, because that's prepubescent and puberty. And so what the brain and the human are doing during that window is the first thing, forming identity, right? And that's what we talked about. Every time a person loses an identity, it's a traumatic experience. That's why we have so many problems today with all this identity stuff. But so, so what that means, you know, kids, I've got three boys, eight, six, and four. Most kids, they're about 10 and under. They don't really have an identity. You know, they're just kids. And I mean, they don't really notice color differences or even gender differences, unless a parent's like, oh, that's a black kid. That's a Chinese kid. That's, you know, but most kids at 10 and under are just, you know, neurologically, they don't really have an identity. You know, they kind of know their name, but that's, you know, um, and kids 10 and under, they don't really feel the physiological effects of stress. Like when they get pissed off or they, they cry, they kind of, but they don't go ruminate on it for 20 minutes, right? They just kind of move on. But when you get into that 11 to 15, you start to notice that I am different. I do look different. You start to try to figure out who am I? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in society? So kids are starting to form identity. And so when you and I, right, like we're athletes, that's what I am. I'm an athlete. You know, and when we were growing up, there wasn't as many identity options. You know, it's kind of a jock, a cool kid, a nerd, a stoner, a, you know, <laughs> there, there may be 10, you know, but now in our society, because of technology, I was just going to, I was literally just going to ask you like what you're feeling on social media is because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm so thankful that we didn't have that when we were, oh. like, I mean, well, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably be locked up in some Turkish brig <laughs> if we had, <laughs> So when I was growing up, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, if, if half the stuff I used to do got posted anywhere. Um, but that's what's going on. So, you know, identities being formed and we're not teaching kids about that. And then most importantly, during that 11 to 15 year window is um, they're starting to feel the physiological effects of stress. Right. And so now they are starting to feel the, the tension, the tightness. They are starting to ruminate. They are starting to. And if we don't get in and teach kids at that developmental window how to identify and observe emotions and manage them using proactive tips and tricks like breath work, meditation, mantras, affirmations, whatever, the only thing they're going to do is start suppressing. And that's where every kid in our society starts their bad problems, right? Drinking, drugging, fighting, whatever, cutting. So if you, if leaders are actually serious about fixing mental health in our country, you take a I would suggest my steady minds, cognitive fitness training, and you put it in middle schools. And in five, 10 years from now, we have a totally different society. Uh, no, I, I agree. Like, again, like it's that proactivity of, of and like, and again, like it makes no sense why. I mean, I guess we're just slow at, at moving these things. We forward. are. We're only two. I mean, and that's, I'm not here to beat up our country. Right. I mean, this yeah. country is a couple hundred years old. We're not yeah. 4,000 years yep. old, like you're in Asia, right? So we're, we do a lot of wonderful things. I love this country. That's yep. why I'm, I just want to continue to help with, but you know, that's the big pictures. We just, you know, we're, you know, we just haven't really made it a priority and I'll tell you why that is right. Because we, so there, what else is happening right now globally is there's this shift, this convergence of East and West mysticism and science, right? Logic and intuition. So kind of the ancient world out there is built on intuition right? Like monks didn't need a, a, you know, a white paper to tell them meditation was good. Yep. You know, they just meditate and they know it benefits. So they, these ancient civilizations are built off intuition. In North America, we're built on logic, right? We're conditioned to not do any, this is part of learned helplessness. We're not conditioned as a society to do anything unless data supports it and an organization backs it, yep. right? So that's how we are in this society. That's why we're slow to move and slow to adopt because research always lags the problem. 
And so that's just, you know, that's just the way it is here. But what's happening globally now, and this all goes back to the onset of the internet, you know, before the internet came online, you know, 50 years ago, whatever, the world was very fragmented, you know, Japan was over there, Spain was over there, China, and the rest of these ancient worlds, they cared about North America, and they were wanting to see kind of, you know, how we, but North America didn't give a shit about any other country, we don't care, yeah. right, so we don't teach much about in our, you know, in our schools about other, so it was very fragmented, but then when the um, internet came online, and the world opened up, and this is what's been happening over the last 50 years, right, is now that these societies and civilizations have been able to peer into each other's things more frequently. What's happening is these ancient civilizations like Japan and Spain and all this, they're starting to adopt the bad habits of North America. So they're starting to get a little fatter, a little more politically, <laughs> more fast food, you know, celebrity century. But what North America is finally doing is starting to adopt the good habits of these ancient civilizations. And that's why you've seen, you know, more, you know, Pilates, yoga, you know, meditation, Buddhism. And so that's what's happening. And it's a good thing. It's going to sweep through our country and it'll move pretty quick, but it's coming. Yep. No, it's, it's interesting. You said, I mean, even just on a small level, I remember the first time I went, I, I lived in Paris for like four months. And the first time I went there and, you know, like seeing all those markets everywhere. And then like the second, third, fourth time I went back, like you start seeing more, like the markets are starting to go away and then more like supermarkets start showing up. And it's just like, wow huh, like this mm -hmm. is becoming America over here in Paris, isn't it? And it's just That's interesting. Right. I mean, like how, and you know, I, I like my Parisian friends were just like, this is, it's getting ridiculous in that sense that it's becoming, you know, like, like the, a Western society, like in that, in that realm. Like, again, right. like I think you and I both, it's like, there's obviously great things about the West as well as great things about the East. And it's like trying to find the balance between what works yeah. best and helping, helping, uh, it, it's just, it's fascinating to me. Short break, make sure to go follow My Steady Mind on Instagram at My Steady Minds and go check out their website, mysteadyminds.com. And remember to check out the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Now back to Seth. Just so much of what I think you're doing, um, and again, I just think your life experience makes it, I don't want to say it makes it more real, but it, because I think you lived so much of it. It's just honest, you know, like that. And I think that that's, I think that probably benefits in how, how you put your stuff in the world. It's like, I've done this. I understand this. I, you know, I went through the drinking problem stuff. I know that this is bad. I know this is good. I lived in Japan for this long. You know, it's, I mean, it, yeah. it's cool when people talk about stuff, but I think when you live it and you understand it, it is super, super beneficial for others listening because it is it's that honesty thing yeah i mean that that's what i tell people like i mean I, i'm not some superhuman or anything i've just had you know some pretty cool and unique life experiences and me dealing with my own personal struggles with anxiety depression alcohol right and i've tried everything i've tried you know treatment therapy medication i've been rehab twice i've done all of it right and this training course that i have this cognitive fitness training is the thing that works for me it's the stuff I practice every day yep. and it keeps me healthy and happy and sober. And, and if it works for me, it can work for other people. And I'm never telling, I'm not, you know, I'm not telling people it's like, you know, quit doing everything else you're doing. This is just another tool. Like, you know, now I've got a massive tool belt of options to help me manage my emotions and my daily stress. Right. And I can fall off and I can get sideways just like everybody else. Cause it's never about perfection. Yep. It's just about progress and probability, you know, and that's, that's what I've done is I've just taken all these things that I've learned and I've tried and I've vetted and, and, you know, can continue to break it down and break it down and break it down into something that's very small and simple and easy to understand. And more importantly, easier to do and saying, Hey, look here, go try this. Right. And, and, you know, and that that's because when it comes to our mental health, I mean, we need both pillars. We need treatment options and training options. Yep. You no, know? that's it. And so, you know, I mean, it just, it just works. Right. And that's what I've been fortunate to see over the last couple of years with our program is it does work yeah. <laughs> for 
anybody. And that has to be validating. I mean, no. And you said something like I, I, you know, obviously we're, we're on the promoting like a physical exercise and, and creative exercises, like really our big thing. And I always, you know, like when I start talking about creativity to people, Oh, well, I don't even know how to draw a stick figure. I like, I hear that all the time. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, it's not about that. Like, like, what do you, like, we're all creative beings. It doesn't yeah. like that yeah. can be writing poetry. That can be dancing. That could be being an entrepreneur, yeah. being a podcaster is being creative. Like right. I always, my, my whole thing with this is find something that you like to do, because mm-hmm. if you find something you like to do, you're going to want to keep doing it. That's right. And and if you like doing it and you keep doing it, you realize it's, it's a good thing for it. You know, like what you were yeah. saying. Yeah. I mean, and then eventually you can probably start making money doing that. Thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> bonus. You know, that, that's the double bonus. And so it is, it's, you know, I mean, there's some fascinating studies and stuff out there that show like when, when, when pretty much all humans are born, right. Barring any mental defect or anything like that, like the human brain has a perfect balance. Everybody's a genius. Literally we're born geniuses. We have a perfect balance of, the ability to think convergently and divergently, right? And and that's what, you know, that divergent thinking is the thing that you're talking about. It's that creativity, it's problem solving, it's being to think about situations differently and abstractly, right? And and, in these things. And so what happens though is again, like, and there's studies that show like the the divergent thinking, you know, kids, that's why kids, like my boys, eight, six, and four, I'm always watching, they're just, they can make believe, they can see things, they can come up with solutions. You know, you can, you can ask like, kind of the, the one of the examples I use with divergent thought is, you know, you could ask a bunch of your friends, right? Like, you know, our age or something. Hey, you know, how many ways can you use a paper clip? And they say, oh, 10, right? I can use it 10 ways. I can do this. But if you ask like a kid, how, how many ways can you use a paper clip? They're going to say, well, can it be a 20 foot phone paper clip? Can it be, you know, they think about, you know, and they think divergently about it. And so, but as we get into our school systems and the studies show that divergent starts going down down and down to where it's almost completely gone and, that's, and that's, it's, that's that is just it's first of all it's amazing but it's kind of infuriating mm-hmm. i mean it really truly is because people don't deserve that you know i mean I, that's when i sit there and i watch my kids i'm just like i'm gonna do everything i can to make sure i'm protecting that they're present they're in the moment they're, you know, and, and it's just, I just know, I mean, and again, I'm not here to just beat up all school systems or anything like that. I'm just saying we've got, you said the key word, right? We're using antiquated systems to try to affect the modern society. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's antiquated. It served a purpose back in the industrial revolution. Yep. It made sense. We need Every, factory work. Everything moves forward. Like that's, I mean, you don't yeah, have to, you don't have to like everything, but like it, we're like part of what society you have to like continue pushing forward. Like you have to learn from the past. Like it's, 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 I, yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't want to say it's, it's infuriating. Yeah. It, it is infuriating. I mean, it's, you know, especially like this is, you know, thankfully or not thankfully, like, I mean, it took a pandemic to wake people up. Right. And to say, okay, Hey, maybe we need to rethink how we go about this mental health stuff. Maybe we should focus on more proactive solutions, but again, you're going to know there's, a lot of people, especially politicians and all, it's just lip service, right? It's just grandstanding. And so, so, I mean, that's where I don't follow that shit. I don't listen to any of them. I'm just over here saying, hey, if you really want to get serious about it, we've got a solution. Yep. If you're a leader that thinks this is important, you can provide this to your entire organization, right? If you actually think that this could be a good tool. If you don't, then shut up. I'm not going to talk to you. I, I got a thousand other people that might be interested. Yep. So, you know, that's the vet. I'm about action. I'm like, look, this is there's, it's just, you know, and if you want healthy, happy employees or athletes or whatever, you've got to teach them how to train mentally. Absolutely. You know, and, Absolutely. You know, and you understand this as an athlete back when I'd go to my sports psych days, because this point kind of helps people understand like why train mentally, what is cognitive fitness, right? So I talk a lot about the zone and flow state. You know, there's a lot of people talk about being out, uh, you got a book on it there, which one? This is, this that is, final? this is our, this is our journal. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll send right. one to you. Yeah, please do. Please do. And so, you know, what we do at My Steady Mind and what cognitive fitness training is, is it's not like just a mindfulness course. It's a it's a performance tool, right? It's going to help you improve performance, whether you're a doctor, a nurse, a cop, a, a SEAL or whatever, right? And so how do you, what, how do you, 
where does ultimate performance take place? And it takes place when you're in the zone or in flow state. And again, there's a lot of people that talk about it, right? But what I help people understand, especially with athletes, right? So the example I use is, and you totally get this as an athlete, right? So if you were, let's say you're a high school baseball player, right? And if you're going to go play 10 games of baseball over 10 days, if you don't train mentally, you'll be in the zone 20% of those games. So two out of 10 times, your best athletic ability, your best physical ability, it'll all just randomly sync up and you'll be in flow state. We've all had those, oh man, I was in the zone, like ball was, you know. And so if you don't train, it'll happen randomly about 20% of the time. When you well, train- I, I mean, I like, again, thinking back to my baseball. So, I mean, I got in my way and, you know, baseball's oh, like, yeah. the, when you start thinking as a baseball player or a golfer, in, probably more than other, like it, it's the death of you. Yeah. Game over, yep. game over, you know? And so when you teach people, when you train, when people do mental training, and I say this too, like coming from the military, the military knows there's only three ways you can train a human being. It doesn't matter if they're an athlete or not. There's only three ways you can train them physically, technically, and mentally. And, and, and so most coaches and teams and athletes don't know how to train mentally, but when you learn how to train mentally, you'll be in the zone eight out of 10 games. You'll be in the zone 80% because you just live in the zone. You know, I mean, the SEALs I train are in the zone eating breakfast. They don't have to get in the zone before <laughs> they go on a mission, right? Yep. Like, so when you train mentally, you just live in the zone. And that's where we want people to be. It's that perfect, relaxed awareness, right? I don't want you too relaxed sleeping on the couch. And I don't want you too aware where you're just in sympathetic state. So that's what flow state is. And again, I tell people, like, you can't read a self-help book about flow state and get in flow state. You know, you have to learn how to train and put in the work and do the train, the, the techniques, learn how to biohack your system and all that stuff. So. Well, and that's what I, you're touching on something I, I always find interesting because now we're in, in a society that obviously there's more and more data all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I've, I've, we, I've actually had, um, somebody from whoop on the podcast, oh, yeah. the, one of the wearable yeah. and she's awesome. And, and I actually am interested in these wearable devices. My issue with the wearable devices, they don't really tell you what to do. They just tell you what, you, what your problem is. And that to yeah. me causes more stress. That's why I don't use them. I don't, That's what I, I mean. I, yeah. I mean, I would just, I get obsessive over data anyway. I'm like, and if I looked at it and I saw my heart rate was higher, my blood pressure was high, I'd freak start out. freaking so, out. That's what I, I'm saying. Yeah, it, yeah. So I don't wear wearables. They would not do good with me. But again, you're right. Like, I mean, I'm actually doing a pretty cool pilot program right now with a group of 30 veterans where we're putting them through our training course and they are using wearables and they're, they're using an aura ring. And then they're also using an app called Vibonics that does voice yeah, yeah. inflation. Yep. yep. And so, but what we're doing is, you know, Hey, we're, we're hoping that the, the you know, this, this data can kind of quantitate some of the stuff we do, but like I've told these apps and people that are talking to me, I'm like, if we're going to partner with you, then you have to build in some capacity to where if they see an elevated thing, it tells them to do something from our course, like take a BAMO breath or are you time traveling or, you know, cause that's, we're all about collecting information, but information is useless without practical tips and tactics. Owning a hundred percent of something that's worth zero is zero. <laughs> zero, right. You know? And so that's, we're obsessed with data and information in this society, but we lose track of just the basic fundamentals. I don't, Okay. Yeah. Basically, this is the, the deepest question of the day now, because you're a baseball guy. Analytics. Does, is analytics ruin baseball? <laughs> I, it depends on who you ask. You know? there's, there's probably some owners out there that swear by it, but you know, I mean, I, I, I think it's gone, you know, the sabermetrics. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's gone a little overboard, you know, I just had, um, you remember Jack McDowell? Yeah. I just had him on and he's, he's old school. And I guess, I mean, Again, I understand that, again, like things have to move forward, but you still have to like, a player is still a player. Like there's still a human being. It can't just be right. numbers. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm like you, right? I mean, I'm a, I've coached baseball and I mean, I'm, you know, I can, you know, you can get much more. What's, what's the term I always like, right? Not everything that can be measured counts. Yep. And not everything that can be counted. No, no, matters. I'm yep. screwing it up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. It doesn't have to be measured to matter. Yep. <laughs> but it, it's just we're data, we're data driven, data centric. It all again comes back to a lot of that. There's, I mean, I love data. There's, there's, but yeah, I think to try but to. It's, make it, it it, yeah, no, I think data, like, I think we're on the same page. I think data's awesome and it's obviously useful. But when somebody just talks about the data and they don't have, 
something that right. like right. that is potential helpful right. in in that scenario it's yeah. just like I, it then, becomes more stressful right and then also to your point it's like we start to see people as data points and not humans yep right and that that's the bigger problem right like i'm just getting rid of this guy or girl because of you know something. it's a rat in the lab yep. yeah so it's it's like everything else I and mean, we just need balance you know just kind of yin and yang you know a little bit of it and so um, yep. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at on that. What, so like, what's, what's like a uh, 10 year, five year plan? Like what's, what's the, you know, obviously I think you're really truly building something very special. I think, you know, again, like doing so much yeah. the research and, and talking to you a couple of weeks ago with Char and, and obviously like getting the info, you know, from, from doc, um, like what's goals, like where, where do you want this or see this going? Yeah. I mean, so my goal is, you know, with my steady mind to continue to grow the business and our primary markets that we work in are law enforcement and healthcare. So those were when we were launching, I said, I want to focus on the two industries that got hit the hardest from the pandemic. And so, and my ex-wife's an orthopedic trauma surgeon. So I had a front row seat for 11 years to see the toll and devastation that happens in healthcare. It was a part of the reason we got divorced. I mean, it just it was just crazy stress. And so, you know, ultimately continue to grow my steady mind. But the term I like to say is to get our training as far left of bang as possible. So getting it into medical schools, getting it into police academies, getting it into, you know, schools, getting this stuff is, you know, early into a person's life or career as possible to mitigate some of the problems. So, um, you know, that's what we're really working to do and, and just continue to, to grow it and get it out there in as big a way as possible and help as many people as we can. Yeah. Now I, my sister's, um, a nurse. So again, particularly with the pandemic, um, she, I mean, she's typically a cardio nurse, but she's been working or was working in COVID units, like, especially at the beginning. And man, you talk about stressful, like at the beginning of this, obviously like nobody knew what the hell is going on. And it's just like, wait a minute, you're doing what you're working. What? No, you can't be doing, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it is it's it's scary and And, i mean we're losing doctors nurses cops we're the the fabric of our society the most important people are quitting they're not going into the industry they're just you know because teachers too teachers yeah absolutely you know we're in some schools we're in a couple of universities and so i mean that's what's happening is you know the most important people in our society are completely burned out completely exhausted quitting their jobs, not going into those careers. And that's going to present a real big problem for us yep. if we don't take like immediate action. Yeah. Know? Now I, we need to figure out, I, you know, I always say the biggest problem United States probably more than anywhere, but in the, on the planet is, is the disparity of wealth. And it's just yeah. like, you know, like did, does a professional athlete deserve a hundred times more money than me? Yeah. probably not a hundred times more money. Like I'm, you know, right. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Like, you know, I get it. Like, and I'm not, obviously I'm, I'm an athlete. I love athletes and I love sports and stuff, but, and I'm not saying that this has to be just for teachers, but just in general, like we need to distribute the wealth in a, in a better way. Like where somebody is born in the wrong neighborhood yeah. and they're screwed for life. Like we can't, yeah. like, we can't, deal with that stuff anymore like we have to figure out ways to change because that that's also something that helps with mental health it's like right obviously if you're born some somewhere and you're screwed like you're, you're gonna be messed up for right. life like from and the that, beginning and it's it's just tough you're 100 percent right you know what i try to tell people is you know like that's ultimately that's what we would love is for whoever the powers that be are going to come to that realization and say hey you know what we do have a crazy distributional wealth problem. We're going to regulate and fix it. I don't know if that day will ever come, right? It's, you know, so what I try to help people understand is that's not something we can control. But with my steady mind, like ultimately when you learn how to improve your mindset, it's the fastest thing to pull you out of your problem, right? Or your, you know, I mean, that's what's going to change. You know, if you're in a, in a, in a you know, a problem where you're struggling, like once you can start to change, because this is where you start to learn how to speak things into existence. You start to learn how to manifest. You start to learn to do all these things that literally can pull people out of some of the most difficult places. And so, you know, I'm all about kind of like, you know, what there's all these things we'd love to see happen and I'd love to, but what can I do today to start getting me kind of 
out of this, you know, and, and controlling it. And it's, you know, you're hundred percent right. I mean, we just, you know, this country, I love it, but man, we, we, we do some things pretty, pretty backwards and odd. And, and we talk, I mean, we talk a lot about how much we care about our people and how much we, but the actions, especially from the top, don't demonstrate that at all. No, unfortunately, I think it's a human trait to be selfish and yeah. some people are better at it than others. And that's right. At the end of the day, it's like those, we need to start thinking about each other, not ourselves so much. Right. That's why I'm such a fan of Buddhism. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I can, I, I tell people I'm, I'm Buddhist, not Buddhist, you know, and it, it's just like, we've got to lead with love. We've got to show kindness. We've got to be compassionate. We've got to get over this materialism and happiness is in things and learn that happiness is in self. And so that's why, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that and pushing those kind of concepts and beliefs and you know, I don't see it as a religion. I see it as a way of life. You know, Buddha was a, a guide, not a God, you know, and, and that's kind of what my program is. It's kind of my Dharma. There, there's your spiritual right there. Yeah. It doesn't right, have to be. Saying, right? It's spiritual, right? I mean, that's what people need to learn. Like, you know, spiritual health, which is one of the four pillars of health. Spiritual just means I believe in something that's not me. And I have a way to communicate with that higher power through prayer and meditation. I don't care who it is. Right. But you have a two way religion falls under spirituality and it's just different countries ways of explaining a higher power concept through parables and stuff. And so, you know, there's no, but I'm not a religious guy because, uh, you know, I think religion's more about divisiveness and control. And, but if you are great, you've got something, right? Just have something, yeah. believe in something that's not you, some yep. kind of higher power. I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I don't care what people believe in. Like, right. And I, I don't, I don't just have faith. Church, 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 I think is, is, just a business unfortunately yeah it's, so, it's, it's it's dying i mean it's there's a couple things that i think in the next 20 years are going to start to really be yep on their way out and i think you know struck organized religion and these educational institutions that we have some of them are going to stay. yeah no it's people, true like people are wisening up yep well, I know you're a busy guy, so like I couple end fun kind of questions. Do you still uh I as an athlete you have to still like watch sports? Like you still a big baseball guy? Uh I'm not so much. Okay. I mean, I love it always, but I mean, I just with my time again, I'm yeah. so, I don't watch much TV, period, you know. Me either. So I just don't I don't really I don't really watch, you know, I'll turn on Sports Center, you know, <laughs> catch the highlights. Yeah, that's about it, but I try to take my kids. My kids are big into baseball now, so I think I'm actually going to take them to a, a college baseball game, UCF, this weekend, oh, nice. this next weekend. And so, but yeah, I still love sports. I still try to. I play a lot of golf. I try to work out, but I don't really watch much anymore. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I still try to pay attention. I'm a huge Met fan. I, well, it's back there somewhere with pennant. So, and then of course I have to show you this. Well, I can't see it. You got to move. Your, is that a tat? Yes. My Did first tat. No. <laughs> I just wanted I to get. I, was like, I got my collarbone broke by a line drive. Did you really? No, I was saying. Oh no, no. Oh, yeah, this is just. <clears throat> I got a tattoo when I turned forty. I was oh, the yeah. only hard rock singer in existence that had no tattoos. That's like, true. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, I've got I've got plenty of tats. I got uh, them all. Over yeah. Oh, I just got I I speaking of college baseball. I just got artist, artist plus athlete. They're addictive. Hey, you're yeah. gonna have a sleeve. With I know, I know, I will. I actually have plenty of ideas, but I, I actually. What was, the, what was the circle representative of? That's a baseball stitches. Oh, it's that's actually, what I thought. Yeah, yeah, it goes yeah. around. The, it goes around the back. Yeah, people okay, always yeah, see yeah. it and they're like, "Oh my god, do you have a scar?" No, it's baseball stitches. No. So, yeah, I like it. No, I this this one I got because I lost a I air quote a bet to my um a couple baseball players in my class last year, and then I and. I, I, of course, say the bet was tainted because I said they had to get to the Super Regional, but they said they had to win the Athletic 10. the, the conference. Yeah. And, and like, Joe, not a joke, and I, I give them shit for this all the time because ever since we made the bet, they won, like, 23 straight games in a row. Oh, nice. You'll have to introduce me to the BCU baseball coach. We can get my steady mind in there. They can Absolutely. No, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Any, yeah. And they're the, – the baseball players I have in my class, it's really fun for me. And, you know, anybody really like it's, I think that when I, particularly the student athletes, because I was one and I understand right. like the stress and all that stuff, I think they really 
appreciate. I mean, I got a text yesterday from, and we're we're done with school, and they're they're still texting me. And that that to me means a lot. Oh yeah, I mean, I loved. I I do miss the you know, and it was funny when I transitioned from you know working in academics to becoming an entrepreneur and running a business. Like, I mean, I love it. I love teaching. I love being. I fortunately still get to do it with my steady mind. You know, this is all teaching. But I don't know. It took me probably two years to switch my mindset from semesters to quarters. Yeah, I still struggle. I'll be like, no, okay, that's in the fall. They're like, no, that's second quarter. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I still think I was on campus for 20 years. And so, yep. No, it's, yeah. it's, it keeps you young. Um, and again, yeah, I just, yeah. it, I feel um, it's very rewarding work to like, um, you know, I try to stay in touch and, and, that, and I do like with, with students that even graduated five years ago will still contact me and like that. Again, it, it just, it means that, that what we're doing and building has has an effect and that that yeah. means something to me yeah. like that it my mom one of the things i live by my mom was a, a teacher for many years and one of her things she always said was to teach is to touch the future yep it's and true that literally that's what you're doing I mean, if you want to, that's how you that's how you change you know i think you te- you change the future through teaching and through entrepreneurship. yep well yeah. last last question i know you got to go um what kind of music do you like Cause I always put new music to podcasts and I yeah. will at least write something stylistically. If you like rock and roll, I already got some music. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it all. I okay. like, you know, rock and roll. I'm big into like Lumineers, Mumford and Sons, that kind of I know, folk, folk bluegrass pop okay. or whatever it is. I know uh, the lead singer from the Lumineers wife. Really? Yeah. She's a friend of a friend. So yeah, we, we hung out a couple of times before, before well, she's married. Uh, if you ever got a hookup on there, <laughs> my favorite band. Yeah, yeah. I love the yeah. Um, So yeah, but I, I'm one of those guys, my playlist can go from DMX to Shania Twain. To, <laughs> okay, you know, good. Well, the, the irony of the abstract athlete is speaking of music is Chris, my business partner and I, we actually met at Ohio state, but I was at actually quit school at that point and he was in school, but we met working at a record store. So it was oh, nice. like the love of music and, and like it, you know, you're I'm probably sure. a big vinyl. You're probably a big vinyl guy. I'm Used to be. Yeah. I got rid of everything. I don't, yeah. I, I Wait, it was, minimalism. It was minimalism. Just, yeah. It was, no, it was just too much of a bitch to like carry that stuff around. Like every yeah. time you move, like I probably had a thousand at one point in time and I still yeah. have some seed. Well, I still have books of CDs, but I get rid of all the cases. It was like a badge of honor back in the day to have like a wall of oh, yeah. music. So, absolutely. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, dude, thank you for doing this. Um, I'll send you uh, some promo stuff here soon. And, and at some point in time, like, you know, let's get on a call with, with Dr. Sifu. I know yeah. he wants to get all of us, you know, kind of working together and, and, and yeah. you know, cause he's, I mean, he's a co-founder with us and yeah, he just sees the, that vision of obviously overlap and, and, um, and like, you know, I think immediately have really great connection with you and, and what you're doing and super easy to talk to and look forward to playing golf with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I'm looking at, yeah. And anything we can do to help you, yep. and your, you know, your vision with the abstract athlete, you know, we're yep. all in on it. So, well, and I think, I think one of the things in the future, um, I think I mentioned this the other day, you know, we, we bought land out in Montana. I think I mentioned that to you. Did I mention? Mm-hmm. And you know, we're, the idea is to have an artist athlete residency. And I think some of the stuff, right. you know, like you coming out and doing a workshop and, and or multiple right. workshops, it would just be, it's perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, that's awesome. And, and if you want to get in and check out the course, just let me know. And I'll hook yep. you up and you can go in. I think it'd be good for you to just yep. see it, take it, touch it, experience it. And it'll yep. kind of help your light bulbs go off as to how you can, you know, best implement it with what you're doing. And yep. I'm looking at coming to Richmond. Are you in Richmond or are you in Arlington? Yep. No, I'm in Richmond. Yep. I'm looking at coming to Richmond next month. So I'll definitely keep you posted because I, I'm going to be working a little bit out of Florida and Richmond moving cool. forward. So, yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe me, you and the doc can go out and grab lunch, dinner, whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, I'm leaving town Sunday for, I, I get in my car and drive out West for like, three weeks and Good for you. just do, I do that a couple times during the summer and just, I'm very much yeah. looking forward. I'm actually meeting up with, uh, one of the vets we work out with out in Montana and might be because we own the land might be actually meeting up with the governor of Montana in regards oh, to all wow. this stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, whatever, man, like I'm fine with that. So it's That's just, awesome. 
funny stuff. That's so awesome. small, crazy world. So, dude, yeah. thank you though. This is I'm I'm a you know, like I said the other day, I'm glad you know we got connected because I do think that there's plenty of collaboration and overlap in what we're both doing, and and again, yeah. like changing the world for the better. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can talk to you for the next five hours, yeah. no problem. <laughs> if you want me on again to talk yeah, to yeah. you, know, just let me know. Cool. Awesome, man. All right. Yeah. Have a great All day, right. brother. All right. All right. You too. Later. Thank you. See you. Just an incredible conversation. I mean, Seth is truly just such an interesting, incredibly smart, and insightful guy. Seriously, uh, I could talk more like listen to him talk about stuff all day. Uh, really love what he is doing and think that his program really should truly be in schools all around the country. Again, make sure to go follow My Steady Mind on Instagram at My Steady Minds with an S at the end and go check out the website MySteadyMind.com. Remember to listen to the other podcasts on the Abstract Athlete Network, the Abstract Doctors Podcast, and One Man's Ethos, the Tony Mandridge Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and follow us on all of our social media outlets for future events and news. Thanks again. We will see you next week. And as always, do not forget to exercise the body and do not forget to exercise the mind. Stay well out there. Mm-hmm.